thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thank you for downloading this podcast from The Reedy Clubby Show on Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. For more, please go to 702.co.za or capetalk.co.za. Choose to make a positive impact. Lead SA. Talk Radio 702 and 567 Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. The Naked Scientist joining us from what I imagine, Chris, is a very, very cold Europe at the moment. Good morning. Mm, It's a bit chilly. Morning. (laughs) A bit chilly. Um, to start off with, a question that came through uh, on my, to my email, Africa at Cape Talk, Africa at 702.co.zm. Africa, it's summer, I take a shower, I put moisturizer on, and I start sweating. When is the appropriate time to put moisturizer on? Should I wait a few minutes for my skin to dry before? What will make me stop sweating in the summer? Mm. As someone who doesn't put on a huge amount of moisturizer, perhaps I should don't know is the answer to that one um i think you'd have to do a, an experiment the scientist in me is saying this needs an experiment <laughs> and every experiment should be repeated multiple times and ideally be blinded in other words so you don't know what's being done before you measure it but the problem with doing that is that you know whether you've put moisturizer on it or not so you'd have to settle probably for an unblinded trial but do it lots of times and make some objective measurements and see which one makes the most difference <laughs> Ah, that it surprises me that that is a question that has stumped you. But we go to your calls at 021-446-0567-011-883-0702. Your SMS is to 31567 and to 31702. Emails africa at Cape Talk, africa at 702.co.za. The Naked Scientist, Dr. Chris Smith, is here to answer all of your questions. Anything that's, well, that you're curious about and you've been uh, wondering. Uh, Chris, while the uh, calls are coming in and the SMS messages are coming in what has been happening in the world of science uh well this week i saw quite an interesting story which uh, came out yesterday it's by scientists in cambridge actually and they have printed with an inkjet printer layers of eye cells in other words they're getting towards being able to print a new retina which is the layer of tissue at the back of the eye that turns light into nerve activity and this is a first because although people have been able to print cells with an inkjet printer nozzle before they've never done it with mature adult cells out of the central nervous system which the retina is a part and this is a quite an interesting piece of work because what it means is that in the future assuming this does proceed the way that they seem to suggest it does then it might be possible to actually print a whole retina. So you take each of the different layers of cells that make up a retina and print them one on top of the next, and then they'll reassemble themselves and wire themselves together, and you would potentially be able to make a skin patch that you could, or a retinal patch that you could paste into the back of the eye to repair damage and potentially restore vision. That sounds absolutely amazing because, of course, there are pockets of society around the world who, for some reason, socioeconomic, um, the context, I suppose, and the environment they find themselves in, uh, they, they become victims of, uh, of turning blind very quickly. 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, there are lots and lots of conditions, many of them increasing in, in incidence, which are directly linked to blindness. And one of them, macular degeneration, is caused by people just living longer. So as countries become richer and people become healthier, paradoxically, they're more likely to suffer diseases of old age. And this means that diseases like macular degeneration, where you lose the integrity of the retina and the photoreceptors in the back of the eye, they're going to become a lot more common. Also, diabetes becomes more common as, as countries uh, feed their people better. People gain more weight on average and people are more likely to become diabetic. And diabetic, diabetes is a leading cause of blindness, again, because of damage to the retina. To your calls now. The first call, Chris, is from Joe in Santon. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, Chris. Quick question. There was a study came out about, oh, two months ago that talked about how omega-3 Joe, unfortunately, your cell phone not holding up there. But the question is around a survey uh, about omega-3s increasing your chance of getting cancer. Well, omega-3 fatty acids are one of the two types of, uh, alongside omega-6, of fatty acids that you get from oily fish and has been tested in the past for its ability to increase your brain power and increase your learning capacity because these sorts of fats are very important in the membranes of nerve cells to keep them fluid so that they can make connections from one nerve cell to another. And that's how we think learning happens. Uh, I don't know if there's any really resilient and robust evidence any more supporting uh, a learning benefit of eating omega-3, but I'm not aware that the fat itself is linked to cancer. I would like to see the data on that, so if you could send me that, Joe. My email address is chris at thenakedscientist.com, or you can tweet it if you've got a link to at Naked Scientist. I'll certainly take a look. It may well be that something that goes along with omega-3 fatty acids, in other words, something that's present in the same mixture that they're there in, may well be the cancer cause rather than the omega-3 itself. But I'll certainly take a look. I hadn't come across that story, I have to admit. Thank you for that call, Joe. Uh, Ruth is in Rivonia. Good morning. Good morning, and I'd like to ask you three questions, quick ones related to discussions that you've had this morning. The first one, what has happened to the technology for printing photovoltaic cells onto photographic paper? The second one, why does vinegar clean uh, poisonous chemicals off fruit? And the third one, there was a lightning crash last week in Santon. It was the strangest experience for those of us who experienced it. It was not very overcast, and suddenly out of the sky came this single bolt. It was like an explosion of an atom bomb. In my own garden, the sun appeared in the garden, and it wiped out mine and several people's entire electrical systems. What causes a phenomenon like that? It's the photovoltaics, the vinegar, and that weird lightning flash. <laughs> three very different questions, Ruth. You'll listen to Three for the price of one. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, well, first of all, the photovoltaics on film, I haven't seen that piece of science. So I'm going to take a rain check on that one because I'd need to check the technology out and see where we are with that. Sounds interesting. I'll look it up and come back to you. Uh, the uh, other one was vinegar on fruit. Well, when we spray things onto fruit, generally what you're spraying onto fruit are insecticides and occasionally fungicides to keep down insects and fungus-type things, respectively. 
Those form a film over the surface of the fruit and they generally glue onto the outside layer of most fruit. Fruit have a, a waxy layer around the outside to largely protect them as they develop and the materials can deposit themselves on there. The idea being that if an insect comes along and tries to eat into the fruit, it's got to eat through the insecticide first and therefore the insecticide chemicals will go inside the insect's body and therefore it will poison the insect before it's got much further into the fruit. The uh, idea of rubbing these things down with something, whether it's water or, any, or, or anything, is to dislodge those chemicals. Water is pretty good as a solvent, and a lot of these chemicals are, are par at least partially soluble in water because they're sprayed on in a watery mix. And so if you put water on there and rub them, you should be able to rub the chemicals off. I'm not sure that there's anything particularly special about vinegar for doing that, and vinegar might make your fruit taste a little bit icky, so it might be better to stick to the water. Uh, the last one about the lightning crash, uh, an interesting one. I, too, have, have experienced something a bit like this, and it's one of those freaks of nature. Thunderstorms are really common. Uh, the statistic I saw is that at any moment in time around the world, there are 2,000 thunderstorms going off at any one time, and there are hundreds of lightning bolts coming down every second, discharging something like 100 million tonnes of TNT worth of energy all around the world. And the way a lightning storm forms is that usually you have a big cloud and that cloud has an updraft. This is warm rising air coming up from the ground which is damp and it's pushing up into the cloud and it's driving particles, little ice crystals, to jostle around inside the cloud and some of these ice crystals are rubbing against other ice crystals and in the same way that if you rub a balloon on your head then you can transfer some charge from your head to the balloon and vice versa and you get a negatively charged balloon which you can then use to pick up paper or make your hair stand on end and so on. And these particles end up doing the same thing inside the cloud and so you end up with the bottom of the cloud for various reasons becoming negatively charged and the top of the cloud becoming positively charged and this makes an electric field down to the ground and the ground becomes net positively charged because all of the negative charges are repelled by this strong electric field from the cloud. Now, if you have enough of a charge build-up like that in a cloud overhead, then it can ionise the air. In other words, it can cause the air to start to conduct electricity because it dislodges electrons away from the atoms in the air. And the electricity can thread its way down from the cloud to the ground to even out the charge imbalance. And I, I suppose that what must have happened is that just by chance, something drove a local, very focal build-up of charge over Santon and it discharged down through the air and got rid of that excess charge accumulation as a lightning bolt. And uh, I think this does, this does happen from time to time in various places. Um, my brother almost got hit on a tennis court in the same way, just like you're describing um, a number of years ago, but it certainly does happen. Chris, it's one advantage of staying in Cape Town. We're not, uh, well, we don't have thunderstorms the way that Joburg and Pretoria do. In uh, I've, I've experienced quite a few Joburg thunderstorms and they really are quite spectacular, aren't they? No, they certainly are. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, let's go to Yaku in Santon. Good morning. Morning, how's it? Um, I'm interested in a type of cooking. It's called sous vide cooking, which is like vacuumed meat in a controlled, very controlled temperature. What is it about it that keeps that, uh, the moisture in the meat at that temperature versus maybe open grilling and the temperature going out? Hi, uh, can, you spell going out. The, can you spell the, the, the method of cooking for me? Because I didn't catch the it, word. Sous vide. It's S-O-U-S 
V-I-D-E, means under vacuum in French. But it keeps oh, yes. all that moisture in versus, um, you know, expelling it. Is it got to do with um, something about the cells of the meat? To be honest, I'm not really sure how that would work because if you put something under a vacuum, then actually what you do is make it more likely that anything liquid, like water, will turn from a liquid into a gas because you can make water boil at a progressively lower temperature the lower the pressure. So if you were to put your kettle on the stove at ground level, it would boil at about 100 degrees C, depending upon the impurities in the water. If you took that to the top of Mount Everest, which is at 29,000 feet, uh, then what you would find is that the water would boil at much lower temperatures, like 86, um, or even lower. And, th and that's because the pressure at the top of Everest is lower, and therefore the water molecules don't have, as much to have, don't have to have as much energy to break the bonds between other water molecules and escape into the atmosphere. So if you were to put your food under a vacuum in the cooker, then actually what would happen is that the water would try to evaporate off at a lower temperature. Now, it might be that there's some kind of ideal low temperature, lower cooking temperature, but complemented by a vacuum, which means that you draw some of the water out of the food, but certainly not all of it. But at a lower temperature, it's going to take longer for the food to cook completely, especially if it's meat-based, uh, for the temperature to get right through the meat, and therefore, in order to, to make sure that everything is thoroughly cooked. But it might just be that when we put things in the oven, like a chicken or something and you've got it at 180 degrees, that you end up searing the outside and drying the outside in order to get the temperature up in the centre, and that leads to a less enjoyable eating experience, and perhaps by cooking at a lower temperature, that this means you get better cooking throughout. It just takes a lot longer. So I reckon that must be sort of the methodology, but I'm not really clear what the benefit of the vacuum is. I'd have to have a think about that. Thank you very much uh, for that call. Uh, let's go to Cliff in Randburg. Hello, Cliff. Hello, morning, Africa. How are you? I'm well, thank you very much. How are you? That's nice. Fine, thank you. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Chris, the naked scientist, amongst plants and trees that we've got on the, our planet Earth that bears fruit or vegetables, whatever it is, are there any male plants and female plants because some trees bears fruit and some trees or plants doesn't. Are there any genders amongst plants or trees? Hello, Cliff. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And plants have sex just the same way that we do, uh, although they can also clone themselves. Let me be clear. So if you look at a banana, bananas are all genetically identical, the ones we buy in the shops, because they're clones. The plant basically sends up a bit from the root which makes a new banana plant and that means they're all genetically identical but 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 some bananas do have sex as well um, but other plants are reproducing sexually in other words you have male parts to a plant and female parts to a plant and they produce from the male parts pollen and the pollen lands on the female parts of the plant ideally of a plant of a, a different type but obviously it's the same species but different cultivar let's say and the pollen then grows down into the female parts and fertilizes the the uh, female part of the plant in the ovary and produces the fruiting body which has then got the pips or seeds in it to produce a new plant 
And in this way, the plants are mixing up their genes. And it's very important that uh, sex like that happens between male and female because it's a way of mixing genetic material and creating what we call genetic diversity. If you mix the genes of one organism with the genes of the same organism of different sex, then you've got two different sets of genes and you get changes in the genetic makeup of the resulting offspring and this means that it's more genetically diverse which means it's more capable of resisting pathogens things that are trying to attack the plant and also evolving changing in order to respond to changes in the environment dr chris smith the naked scientist thank you very much for spending uh, time with us this morning as always and looking forward to future programs thanks africa and uh, have a great christmas everyone by the way Thank you very much, Sam, to you and your family. TheNakedScientist.com, of course, is a website you can uh, riff, well, go and find out more information about what they're doing. And you can email Chris, Chris at TheNakedScientist.com. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.